Welcome, everyone, to another afternoon of Daybreak Crypto. You have Swiss joined with Kramer uh, today. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing, brother? Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, super good, super good. So our first article is covering Protagonist, a fairly new crypto fund and incubation lab that has launched its first $100 million fund to focus on early-stage crypto companies. I wanted to bring this to the attention of our audience because they are going to be focused on a couple of our subsectors that we are interested in, namely security uh, and privacy, but then also gaming and just generic blockchain infrastructure, emerging blockchains and ecosystems. So they're looking at a lot of newer emerging, even within the emerging field of blockchain, but like the, the forefront of it. So um, for any anybody who's building a secret or any privacy type of application, I think these are some VCs to, to know. And I took a little bit of a look. So these guys are known for investing in Solana, uh, the Solana ecosystem. So the two of the brothers, the I don't know how you pronounce them, but Macalinau, I don't know, uh, Dylan and Ian M., uh, they founded the Solana-focused cross-chain liquidity network called Saber Labs. And then the other two partners are longtime entrepreneurs, apparently. So they took a look at their current portfolio of companies. And one is called Aptos. It's a, some layer one that's being built. Um, don't know anything about them, really. And then otherwise, there's a Solana NFT program called Cardinal, uh, claiming to be utility layer for Solana NFTs. I've never heard of it. I don't do a lot with Solana, but look, you never know with this. And then the other one that was noted was something called Cogni, Cogni, a digital banking and lifestyle services app. This one actually looked kind of cool. Um, digital banking. So what they are doing is you can track your spending habits you get access to no fee ATMs, which is something that Venmo offers as well. The difference here is that they talk about building a high yield savings account through crypto. I'm guessing that has really fallen by the wayside over the past two or three months because of the evaporation of high yield savings opportunity uh, with the whole you know falling of the house of cards situation we have going on. So in any event, these these portfolio companies do look interesting and I really wanted to flag this for our audience who I know we have a lot of privacy app builders who are, are looking for raising. So I think that this, this group is one to probably get in touch with. What did you think about this profile when you saw it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, every VC's not every VC's job, but some VCs really try to make it seem not evangelized, but make it seem like they're doing a greater good and not really in it for the money. But these guys did a good job of kind of holding that line of, you know, they brought up something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and in real life is that the disconnect between web two and web three users is vast. And what most companies and dApps are doing to try and close that isn't really enough on like the user interface side. So one of the founders actually said, we want to leverage crypto, DeFi and blockchain as tech without consumers realizing or needing to understand that they're using it. 
I see a future where human behavior and experience doesn't change, but should only improve. And that quote was real dope to me because that's basically what we know needs to happen for the volume and, you know, for the real numbers to get to where we think that they can be. And, you know, a hundred million, it's not a drop in the bucket, but it's not a ton of money anyway. Um, I then heard, I've heard of Saber Labs, but didn't really know anything about it. And then, um, yeah, obviously focusing on security and privacy, the gaming and infrastructure as well is interesting to me. I'm not sure. I would like to find out what emerging blockchains and ecosystems they're talking about. Um, but well, we Aptos, probably... Aptos is one that I think they're talking about. And so it's, is that an L1? Yeah, but I've never heard of it either. So, um, yeah. you know, this is how we can stay on top of some of this stuff, but. Uh, right. they, have I think dev, that, they have a dev net, so they're not even on main net yet. I mean, that's gotcha, what the, gotcha, gotcha. And, and I like this. I, I like the strategy of just being plugged into what's the next latest and great, like the hype cycle in however many years, whenever that comes, whenever there will be another hype cycle, the big winners of that is they're trying to get in front of that. And they were on it with Solana with investing in Saber. So, um, you know, they're probably just taking their formula to, to look look far, far ahead where the puck's going. So I, I like that strategy, and that's how I would be doing it too. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, they only – I think this foreign protagonist in earlier this year, so it's not even seven months old. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm sure they're still getting their ducks in a row and everything, but they definitely have a plan in place, and it'll be cool to see where they go. Yeah, Totally. Um, closing up on that, I want to kind of double back to a podcast we had last week talking about Vald, and they actually issued a letter to creditors disclosing a $70 million shortfall earlier this week. So Nexo was offering to buy Vald, and Vald disclosed that it had $330 million in assets against 400 in liabilities. And they, bl- not blamed, but they said the contributing factors to the shortfall were losses in Bitcoin, Ether, and Polygon, as well as being overexposed to the collapsed UST, which we kind of got into last week. Uh, either way, Nexo is still currently in due di- diligence to acquire Vault. But what we wanted to focus on today is one of Vault's main investors, which is Peter Thiel and his VC arm, Villar Ventures. So Velar Ventures was founded back in October of 2010, and Peter Thiel is joined by Andrew McCormick and James Fitzgerald to round out the founders table. And Velar Ventures was spun out of Thiel Capital and is historically focused on tech startups that are kind of based outside of Silicon Valley. And the reason why I'm bringing up the specific VC fund is because it caught my eye that they just uh, closed on Velar Fund 8 to the tune of 121 outside investors, reaching $665 million. Um, I kind of, you know, tallied up everything that I could find from their Velar Fund raises as well as Velar Velocity. And I think that the total, yeah, it was $2.8 billion over the last 12 years from just these, and they probably have another 250 to 400 million on other Bilar fundraises outside of that, um, which is just, it's, it's a lot of money and they're, you know, they're casting a lot of nets out there, but Dylan, what were your uh, initial thoughts here? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I have not looked into their fund as much. So I was really happy that you brought this one up um, because obviously anything Peter Thiel is doing is, is probably going to be interesting. So um, I noted that they, they had some really good wins with wise. I've actually used wise. It's a money transfer service. Um, X E R O S. I don't know how you pronounce it. Zero zero. Uh, it's like a QuickBooks thing. And all of these were, I, I'm pretty sure at a first glance founded outside of the U S. Um, I mean, wise is big in Europe and, and XERO I think is based out of, uh, New Zealand. So this is, uh, it's cool to see how, how the VCs take different strategies and they, they create a different fund or a different entity that's creating funds based on that strategy. Right. So this is his software investment arm that looks outside of the U S not just Silicon Valley, but like outside the entire U S I think from what I can tell they're they're really looking outside of just the U S. Yeah. I think, uh, I think like over 70% of, you know, this funds, our venture funds are outside of the U S it's typically either in like New York or, you know, down in Miami or something like that. But that was just a couple, um, you know, very small percentage. They're investing in Vald. They they invested in Vald. Gotcha. So here, gotcha. yeah, because and I bring that up because I kind of did some digging and I thought it was worth noting that Valar also invested a little over eighteen million in BlockFi's Series A and led that, as well as another thirty million in Series B. And I guess my main point here is the difference between a hit or a miss in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space right now, the window is so small for that with, you know, regulations coming down and cascading liquidations and everything kind of moving and shifting, things can go left very quickly. So like while, you know, they raised 2.8 or $3 billion over the last few years, even if they only hit on, you know, five to 20% of them, 20% on a super high side, just making Mm -hmm. like a profit off of it in the future that's still going to reap so many future rewards compared to the losses. Um, and that's just based on, I mean, I've said this fun size a couple of times now, but uh, I did some more notes that Villar's investments typically range between 10 and 50 mil. And while they love to be early in the pre-seed or series a, they also love rounds seven through 12. And when a startup is kind of between 500 mil and a billion, so it kind of goes to show that while they like in an early for a chance of those ridiculous returns and, you know, long shot home runs, they also like to equal out that risk with some proven startups that kind of show the project development quality and longevity. Yeah. And one thing I would, I love that point. And what I like about this as well is just to remind ourselves that these, these very impressive VCs are not infallible. I mean, they're capable of making big mistakes too, because I think bald, this is clearly you know, involved in BlockFi, all these companies that were involved in insane lending and collateralization of this and that and all this crazy stuff that just built this big toxic bubble around crypto in this insane lending that's occurred. It just culminated in this ex- explosion, right, over the past couple months of, of just completely falling in on itself. And so I don't know. My guess is... My guess is the investors who came in on BlockFi involved, they probably uh, were involved during board meetings and they 
they probably saw the metrics of how great the businesses were performing over the past 12, 13, uh, 12 to 18 months to two years and just kind of went along with it. They probably weren't, I don't know. I would, I was wondering like how involved they were with strategy. Um, cause clearly these companies were crushing it and they were raising money. At, uh, I, you know, insane valuations over the past two years and now it's all in reverse. So, um, my guess is that they were probably not in, intensely involved with strategy, but um, were convinced enough to keep investing at at the higher valuations each each round. That like they probably <laughs> didn't really foresee this explosion that that was coming. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, I don't think anybody did, but yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, and that's the thing you don't hear you know, anybody asking for quotes from them about how these investments blew up because there are so many that are doing well or on the way to doing well that these don't really matter that much in their eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one thing I would add is just like BlockFi. I was always, I I was using BlockFi for a, a good amount of time. Um, I took some out of my vault after their incident in Q3 or Q4 of last year. Um, but like they, they had a great user experience, but I was all, always reassured. I just looked at who the investors were and I was like, well, look, these, these VCs are our name brand. This is like a serious company. Um, so I trusted it a little bit more. And that also, I don't think anybody lost principle based on like executional failure at BlockFi. Maybe, I don't know for a fact, I can't say that with certainty, but um, I'm pretty sure it was okay. Pretty much. Like if you were a user there um, that you're okay. But I think that there were some fringe cases. There were one or two incidents I can remember that probably affected people. But my point is that was wrong of me to think, Oh wow! Just because these investors are involved, this is going to be a this is going to be fine. Like we've we've been shown that's a bad way of thinking about things because of yeah. this latest episode in the market. So I uh, just highlight that as like something I learned was just not to get caught up by trusting a company with my assets or data just because of who's invested in it. That's not yeah, it, that's not sound. Yeah, I mean, that's part of, you know, investing and figuring this shit out, right, is checking your equation and seeing which variables are weighted too much or too little and kind of bring you back, uh, bring it back to earth and reassess. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm guilty of doing the exact same thing. Uh, I think a lot of people are, but it goes to show that it's a lot different when you've got, you know, 10 or 100 grand to play around with versus 3 billion, right? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm definitely on the lower end there, but uh, <laughs> you can't go full degen, especially when you're managing hundreds of millions. Well, don't say so, that. You're going to have some crypto VCs trying to challenge you here soon. Uh, I, I, I say full degen, as in <laughs> what, what these what these folding shops have done. There's nothing wrong with with backing a, a good startup. Oh no. So, all right, man, we're coming up on time. This has been great. Always good to chat with you. Definitely. You too. Uh, I think we're going to be back Friday with another episode of Daybreak Crypto. We'll see you then.